This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 108 of the Rebel Author Podcast. This week, I am talking to Anna McNuff, an adventurer and author, winner of the 2020 Kindle Storyteller Award, owner of lots of pink hair. She is so much fun. I absolutely loved talking to her, and I think you will find this episode super fun. But first, to last week's question, which was, what is the best book you've read in your genre? Ian Worrell said, too many to count or too hard to pick the best, for me at least. Karen Heenan said, such a hard question. Either Dorothy Dunnett's Lymond Chronicles or Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall, historical fiction all the way. Um, and then Lita said, um, I brought the new conflict thesaurus yesterday. And that's because our previous guest was Becca Pagalisi. Um, and we were talking all about uh, how to create conflict in your novels. Okay, so this week's question is, what adventure have you been on? Now, I've been on a few adventures. I wouldn't say I'm an adventurer, um, although I do really like adventures. Um, but I, I think the probably the biggest adventure I've ever done was trekking up to Mount Everest Base Camp. Um, it was so fun. And I loved it. And I would definitely, I, I would love to think that I would do Kilimanjaro at some point in my life. Um, and yeah, there are a few other things that I would like to do and also I felt really inspired by Anna uh, to just get out of my comfort zone and stop being a dick <laughs> and stop like you know doing all of these self um, limiting thoughts and things you know telling myself that I can't do these things that I absolutely can um, so yeah I, I would love to know what adventures have you been on the book recommendation for the week this week is Under the Whispering Door by TJ Klune. Now, you may remember, long-time listeners may remember that early in, earlier in the year, I had read um, The House in the Cerulean Sea by TJ Klune, and oh my goodness me, I just adore his books. Um, well, I adore this now, this isn't a series. The The two books are unrelated, but um, I've heard him say on a podcast that the books are kind of a trilogy in, in terms of theme, the thematic stuff. Um, and so you can definitely see that, I think, when you've read both of them. Um, but definitely the books, I sobbed for the last 70 minutes, 70 pages of, of the book, um, like in a good way. Uh, but yeah, it's just, he is so fantastic. And I'm actually going to be teaching uh, lots of lessons learned and um, tools and tricks and tactics that TJ Klune uses in uh, Under the Whispering Door in the very first ever Rebel Readers Masterclass. So if you would like to join that masterclass, um, you need to be a patron. Um, at the $15 level and yeah we will there will be a masterclass on the 3rd of November and speaking of masterclasses I am actually uh, going to run a masterclass on Halloween so it's a villains special masterclass and I am so excited to do this I am really finding a lot of joy in creating these masterclasses because it's forcing me to go back and deconstruct books and TVs and film and and all of that 
stuff, which is um, like one of my favorite things to do because it's how I develop my craft. Um, it, 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 the, the best, I suppose, it's one of the quickest ways for me to develop. And also it then produces uh, like content and lessons and I find new tools and new tricks that I can share with everybody. So um, yeah, I suppose my question to you is, would you like to create better villains or would you like to have a villain for a protagonist? Whether or not you want to improve your villains, brush up your character creation or just improve your craft, you can join me for my first ever live Villains Masterclass. It's going to be on October the 31st at 8pm GMT, which is 4pm Eastern Time, 1pm Pacific Time. And for those in sort of Australia, New Zealand, well, I suppose Australia because it's ACDT time, it will be 6.30 a.m. on Monday, the 1st of November. So you could get your class in before work if you uh, live on that side of the world. Um, yeah, so fancy dress is encouraged. I will be in fancy dress for the session. Hey, it's Halloween. You gotta, you gotta get your kicks from somewhere. You can bring a poison of choice. And of course, you know, you should probably steal some candy from some kids and bring it as masterclass snacks. So what will be in the masterclass? I'm going to be talking and showing you how to craft a villain as a protagonist. We're going to be looking at villain arcs, how to get your origin story right, how to create unlikable characters, uh, villains and anti-heroes your readers will love anyway, save the cat villain style. We'll do some exercises live in class to help you cre create better villains. There'll be a takeaway che uh, sheet and uh, a question and answer portion of the class as well. And if you can't make it but you would like the class, you can do one of two things. If you sign up to the class now um, for the live session, it is at a discounted price um, and you can, you will get everything afterwards. So you'll get the replay, uh, the video replay, you'll get audio, you'll get a transcript, you'll get the slide decks, the cheat sheet, um, and everything will get put up on uh, Thinkific. Uh, it will take me a couple of weeks to do that, but you will get it. You'll get access, like sort of lifetime access to that. Um, and yeah, and then if if you don't, but but the point is, if you don't sign up before the class, then uh, I will obviously still be putting the class up, but it will be at a slightly higher price. So it's best to get the class now whilst it is cheaper, um, unless you want to pay more money. Um, yeah, okay, so even if you can't attend live, you can still buy the masterclass, and as I said, uh, you can get that, um, you'll get access to it afterwards. So yeah, that is one of the things that I'm doing. Um, and I wanted to also mention the uh, NaNoWriMo story bundle um, that I am involved in, which I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. So Kevin J. Anderson every year creates the NaNoWriMo writing tools bundle. And um, there are 16 books, and they cover all kinds of things from um, release strategies, uh, my uh, eight steps to side characters, killer content, uh, strategic author's guide to mailer light. There is stuff around um, not writing, uh, sorry, not plotting, so sort of pantsing, uh, writing in short amounts of time, how to be a writing machine, um, all, all, all different kinds of things. And we've got books from authors like Monica Lionel, Kevin J. Anderson himself, uh, Michael Leron, Kevin McLaughlin, uh, Craig Martell, Joanna Penn and Mark Lefebvre, um, Andrea Pearson, myself, of course, Erica Everest. And there's also a 50% off Juto 3 um, and 75% and off uh, vouchers as well. So there is a massive amount of content packed into this bundle. And it's a 
pay what you like bundle as well. So if you haven't got your copy of that bundle, then I will leave some links in the show notes for you to go and check that out. And of course, if you haven't already purchased your copy of 13 Steps to Evil audiobook, what are you waiting for? Go check it out. Um, as I record this on uh, October the 15th, you should be getting a bonus uh, or, uh, uh, podcast episode, which is a sneak peek look at, I think it's chapter one I ended up um, sharing, uh, of the villain's audiobook. So yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it encouraged you to go check out the rest of the audiobook. You should be able to purchase that anywhere. And you can actually get that direct from me as well now and at a discounted price. So it's, uh, I think, 10.99, I think, on my store. Um, and everywhere else obviously you've got to use your credit or um yeah whatever the the stock price is which I think is 12.99 or 14.99 something like that um yeah okay awesome so I what else am I, can I tell you um right so yes I'm doing the uh, master classes I've got two master classes coming up um as I mentioned last week, I am getting on a plane to see my dad and that, as I speak today, that's about 12, uh, eight, nine days away. So, oh my gosh, that's only nine days away. So yeah, I will be uh, on a plane <laughs> uh, very shortly, which is very exciting and nerve wracking. Um, I have been working on Trey this week. I am so excited by the fact that I have been working on Trey at last, at last, at last. It has been such a long time in the works and um, this week I am now, as we talk, I am 39,000 words into the book and um, that means that I'm, well, the book is now 92,000 words. Uh, so technically I'm like 42% or something of the way through, but I do think that the book will top 100,000 because I've got some extra chapters that I'm putting at the end of the book because I'm finishing the series here. Um, but I feel good about the story again. I feel like I am really starting to pull it together. Um, I will have to do one extra read through and a tweak uh, of the sentence level prose and also just checking things. So I'm writing sort of a list as I'm going of things that I feel might just need deepening. So a couple of characters might need a little bit more work, uh, a few, there might need to be a few extra references to things, things like this really just polishing and tweaking those final things. So this draft that I'm doing now is like the last major edit and then it will be a very quick run through, uh, mostly ticking things off my list. I'll put it through Pro Writing Aid uh, and just polish up that prose on that final draft. And then I'm in two minds about whether or not to give this to a beta reader to read. It has already been beta read, but I am... I guess fundamentally changing it because I'm finishing the series with it now so I'm uh, maybe I'll just get somebody to read the back end I don't know um my fear is that somebody will read it and then there'll be loads of work that needs doing it um and I just can't handle that I just need to get it done so I don't know as you know I struggle with minimum viable product I don't really do that <laughs> I always like to put out the very best possible thing that I'm capable of and you know I really do feel like after three years of working on this fucking book that it is going to be the best that I can make it under the restraints that I've been working on the fact that you know it's not really my style anymore um I definitely moved on, my prose has improved and I can't, I have to stay within the confines of the series. So yeah, I, don't get me wrong, I still love this series. I absolutely adore it for what it is. Um, and you know, every time I go back and reread the first book, I still smile and I still love the story by the time I get to the end of the first book. So yeah, I do really love it. Um, 
but I'm just wrangling and I'm sure you all understand that wrangle between you know finishing something that's taken longer than it should have and the fact that you've then moved on um if you're interested in reading the series keepers is actually still at 99 pence or 99 cents so yeah if you want to read a guilty pleasure young adult book then i highly recommend that one <laughs> and you can go and check it out um it's 99 cents everywhere okay so the rebel of the week this week is janelle hardacre janelle says um thanks to sasha actually for pointing out that this even was a rebellious act rebel was never really a label that i previously connected with myself but now i'm like rebel fuck yeah i love that already i love this story Okay, so Janelle says, so remember lockdown one when it became clear that it wasn't ending anytime soon. I realised it was the perfect opportunity to try something I'd always secretly fancied, shaving my hair off. I figured we're not seeing anyone for ages anyway and hair grows back. After a couple of weeks of toying with the idea and planting the seed with my other half, I thought, fuck it, to give me a bit more accountability. I put a little video on my socials to say that if I raised £500 for charity by 5pm the next day, I'd shave my head live on Instagram. Well, the people spoke. Within an hour, I'd hit £500. I was flabbergasted. So in another rebellious act, I moved the goalpost and told people the target was now £1,000. Within another couple of hours, the target had been smashed. It was real. Oh shit, I'm shaving my head tomorrow. My mum asked me, are you sure? A woman's hair is her crowning glory. What the fuck? She also kept asking me if my husband was okay with it. Again, what the fuck? I didn't ask his permission, but did seem to be looking forward to being my barber. But sorry, I didn't ask his permission, but he did seem to be looking forward to being my barber. Uh, The next day I woke up feeling sick. I had to wait until 5pm. I spent all day playing with my hair. I washed it and straightened it so it was shiny and styled for the last time. With my coiffed uh, do, I took the opportunity to do a final reminder video for people to join at 5pm. Finally, 5pm arrived. I'd done a full face of makeup and was as ready as I'd ever be. Three, two, one. My other half started by buzzing... (laughs) straight down the middle of my skull no going back people were loving it and the the donations were still rolling in then I looked in the mirror I love it I said I felt strong fierce and powerful despite my mum's tears plus my head felt so good to stroke I also ended up raising over two thousand pounds wow that is amazing I still look back at the picture and think I look beautiful and sexy. I am a rebel. As a little epilogue, my mum used to have short cropped hair about a decade ago and grew it long, all because someone in a shop once called her mate. (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Uh, she took that to mean that she wasn't feminine and that she had to have long hair so people knew she found her long hair hard to manage and a burden whenever i suggested chopping it off she'd refer back to her uh, apparently being mistaken as a man well three months ago she had it chopped again and she feels liberated it really suits you uh, our hair doesn't make us any more or less of a woman i said to her you're absolutely right janelle she replied smiling as she showed me her new do and her lighter head from all angles i love that also one why do we have to be feminine like feminine is somebody's fucking you know 
perception of what a woman should be well fuck off I'll be whatever I want to be thank you very much and some days that might be feminine and in a dress with my bangers out and uh, other days that might be me in trackies and shaved head on the sides and and so fucking what like why is feminine the definition of sexy for a woman I know I think powerful women intelligent women women who know what they fucking want that is sexy um and also that's sexy in my opinion other people might find something else completely sexy and that's completely fine too like who are these people in society to tell us what we should and should not look like or you know what is and isn't feminine and and just fuck off like let everybody be and be themselves just as you showed your mum which is fucking amazing I loved this story so so much so thank you so much for sending it to me and of course you could be rebel of the week if you send in your story it can be any kind of rebellion big small or something in between I know I say this every week but please if you have a rebellion and you haven't sent it to me please send it to me because I love reading these stories out. I think it really makes the show special and I would love to continue doing it. And we are so low on stories. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can Instagram me at Sasha Black Author. Welcome to New Rebel, Robin Pierce on Patreon. Um, Thank you for joining the Rebel Readers uh, level and I very much look forward to uh, doing the first masterclass and obviously chatting to you more in Slack. And a big thank you to all my existing patrons. You guys are amazeballs. I love you so much. You bring me so much joy. I love chatting to you and and just the random antics that everybody gets up to in Slack and for everybody on Patreon as well. Thank you so much for your support. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, that is it from me this week. Yeah, let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am besides myself with excitement for today because I am joined by Anna McNuff. Anna is an adventurer, speaker, author and self-confessed mischief maker my kind of girl. Named by The Guardian as one of the top female adventurers of our time, Condé Nast Traveller included her in the list, in their list of 50 most influential travellers in the world. She is the UK ambassador for girl guiding and has run, swum and cycled over 20 thousand miles across the globe. She is best known for her most recent adventure in which she set off to run 2,620 miles, 100 marathons through Great Britain in bare feet. Hello and welcome. (laughs) Hello, gosh, when I listen to that I just think who is this mad woman? Lock her up. I just have to ask about your feet. Like, what was the self-care routine there? Because, wow. Thanks. Thanks for your concern. You'd love this, actually. <laughs> well, they, they feet are amazing, though. They were basically like strong, robust panther paws by the end of this. Really, They had really thick skin. But then, about 10 days after I finished, it just peeled off like a snake skin. Oh, it was so satisfying. Literally, the bottom of my foot just went... Because <laughs> my body oh. was thinking, I don't need that anymore. I've got shoes now. So, oh my yeah, god, it was do crazy. It really? That's amazing. Yeah, I've got a video. Oh, honestly. It's, it's on Instagram. 
Uh, it's not because <sighs> people get they get so weirded out, and also I get a lot of odd foot fetish messages when I post things on Instagram. <laughs> I know that, so um, <laughs> so it's not on Instagram. But I just thought, God, how amazing our bodies that. Oh, anyway, phenomenal. Yeah, that's how my feet are. Thank you. Well, very well. Yeah, how yeah. It's, well, look, I actually hate feet, but I am fascinated by the peeling off of a whole layer of foot. Like medically speaking, that I find fascinating. Feet though, toes. <laughs> I can do without feet and toes I don't understand foot fetishes uh yeah my feet I don't know are flat actually so I find running really difficult <laughs> oh are they that's understandable that is understandable yeah you'd I, be great on sand though like a camel yeah and in heels actually so that's why I must oh, really? must explain my expensive shoe fetish because I, I really like expensive heels I um yeah no I'm so flat-footed I, I literally have like completely collapsed arches so my wife she was really mean she she really wanted like this beach photo you know when you have like you, the two adults and then like a kiddo um yeah. and you have like your paw prints in the sand she was like wow I can't fucking do that because you're not like fucking trade <laughs> feet aren't you <laughs> <laughs> Dirty. I know. You don't I have a pleasing imprint. Who cares? <laughs> um, anyway, we're not actually here to talk about feet at all, funnily enough. <laughs> but uh, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and, and kind of how you got to where you are today? Yeah, guys, it's mad, isn't it? Um, I mean, well, long story short, I was um I was born of, to the child of two Olympians. So I've got two Olympic athletes as parents. I think that wow. sets the scene for what kind of insane. I mean, the, my mum and dad's idea of a romantic night in is jumping on and off the rowing machine doing like pieces. Yeah, then I, it's just mad. So um, that was my kind of upbringing, lots of sport, lots of always being outdoors, that kind of thing. But it wasn't until I was, so I did row for Great Britain for a little bit in my 20s, didn't make the Olympics, which was my childhood dream. Wow, wow, massive like <clears throat> failure moment. Um, but then in my late 20s, I started doing more outdoorsy stuff. I started realising that, I didn't want to go fast. I didn't want to look at times. I just wanted to like stop for tea and cake and chat to people and um and just yeah. So I started doing adventures, which combined like a love of travel and a love of punishing my body. And and I started going off on these long adventures. And it's funny because it was originally about the adventures, and now I love the writing about the adventures, probably I'd say equally as much as the adventures themselves. So now I class myself as an adventurer and an author, which just feels amazing because I, yeah, I always loved writing at school, but I did really badly in my exams and always went off on one about the wife of Bath. So um, I didn't actually think I'd ever be able to do it. If that makes sense. I love that so much. I, um, I love adventures, but I don't have, um, see, I really hate the phrase like balls of steel or you know like big balls when yeah, talk we talk about this but a big vagina is not really one. a compliment yeah. is it no, so you don't want you know, a steel vagina no, no. Yeah, steel <laughs> <laughs> anyway the confidence shall we say um that you yeah. have so I've done one adventure I um but I didn't sort of go all the way I trekked up to Mount Everest base camp which was quite fun oh, wow yeah That's that high. yeah it what I definitely got uh altitude sickness which wasn't so fun yeah. um but you know it cost lots of money to go all the way to the top so I didn't do that bit um but I love adventures and I love apparently now reading about adventures thanks to you <laughs> <laughs> which I never knew that I enjoyed it so much your, your books are just fantastic um so and, and that's really what what I wanted to talk about because you do this amazing thing of combining like travel fiction but in this fantastically narrative like engaging absorbing story which is completely true um so 
I wondered if you could explain your process a little bit. Like, what does your writing process look like as a travel writer? Do you pick the adventure first? Do you like, do you write as you travel? Do you write afterwards? Like, how does that work? Yeah, I think I've gradually worked it out along the way because on my first adventure, I, I kept a journal, like a handwritten journal, because I got inspired by all the, the adventurers of old and thought, you know, this is what they would have done when they were trekking to the Antarctic, you know, leather bound and all that. Well, it wasn't leather, it was some cheap version. But um, I kept a handwritten journal and then I had that in a drawer for years and years and years. And then I used that to write a book, which was agonising, trying to read my handwriting and everything else. <laughs> and um but then when I went on the next adventure I thought ah I think I'm going to write a book about this adventure so I was much better at making notes on my phone and that's what I've continued to do basically in the evenings when you're knackered and I've run or cycled all day and before I dribble into my you know onto myself in my tent I'll force myself if it's been a cool day to write some notes um and the cool thing about adventures is if you're in the middle of nowhere you get in your tent and it's and you're in bed by six o'clock rock and roll <laughs> you know, you've slept down some noodles and so there's no distraction so actually you can reflect and write um so I mostly write notes while I'm on the go except with the exception of the barefoot run when it was so crazy and there was so much going on I actually did voice notes while I was running along so I'm running through the Yorkshire Dales going like there's a sheep in front of me oh it hasn't got its tail cut I like the way it waggles in the sunshine <laughs> Oh my goodness me. Like I struggle not to breathe out of my asshole whilst I'm running. So like I am deeply impressed that you can both <laughs> run barefoot and also comment on your scenery around you. That is wildly impressive. <laughs> um, it might have fallen over sometimes yeah. and also that commentary that commentary includes things like because you can't I find dictation really difficult. Mm. So in the moment I'm just saying things like saying things like something about the beauty of this. You know it's like insert <laughs> wisdom here when you come that's to what, write this bit because I don't have any right now that's what my dictation is mostly like that's why yeah. I was like, yeah. yeah I feel slightly better yeah fill this um, in later when you can be asked yeah, yeah. okay yeah <laughs> amazing um do you I, um, I was going to ask what mistakes you think writers make um when trying to write travel books but like maybe a better question is have you have you learned anything or have you made any mistakes sort of along the way you said you've learned your process so yeah I just wonder yeah what are the common mistakes you think people make I think there's a couple of things the, the one thing I think is a mistake in books I don't enjoy about adventures is that I think sometimes think because it happened you have to write about it and I that is I think that's a surefire way to a very boring book and it ends up like a diary and you know yes diaries can be funny if you're Bridget Jones but for the most part um something that's just chronological moves along this day that day that day um that's I don't find that's the way that's not the way you tell a story so um I think that's a mistake a lot of people make they think it needs to they need to put everything in there um and but the I think the, the kind of stuff I've learned is, and this is where editors really help, is I take loads of stuff for granted. You know, I have all these things in my head that I know about myself or I know about the journey. And I actually realise they're not obvious to the reader. And mm. I've, not, I've not explained things enough. And even though it feels boring to me to put in one sentence that explains what that thing is I've just said or why that is the case with something I've just said, um, I've got much better at going oh okay does this make sense to a lay person or whatever and trying to make it a bit more accessible so I think those are the two things yeah and so thinking about the structure of non-fiction like how 
I suppose there is a chronological journey in your in your adventure you know you start at one point and uh, well maybe come back to it or you know end up in in a completely different place at the bottom of Brazil or wherever you know um but how do you create like a non-fiction arc like a narrative arc like what is that how do you do that because for me when I write my non-fiction it's very much based upon like here is the basis of a writing craft thing. And now we're going to get more complicated and now we're going to get more complicated, but you yeah. have, you have an arc. Like, so can you talk about how you create that, how you develop that, what it looks like for you? Well, first of all, I really didn't even know what narrative arcs were until about a year ago. <laughs> Amazing. So that's good, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? You're just like, oh, this is a thing. It's called a thing. Um, what I do is I, I start with, when I sit with like blank page, you know, I use Scrivener, like blank, blank section. And I basically write the stories that I would tell my friends down the pub. Like what was the cool shit that happened? Because they're the things where I'm just like flowing and I'm like, oh my God, and this, and then this, this. And I just can't stop. I'm like, Burr! And that normally gets me about a half of the book written. And I don't worry about writing in order. I just sit down each day and go, where do I want to go today in my head? Like what point? do I want to be taken to and then I go through the process of going back and filling in the gaps and linking those those points together and that's where the rest of the book comes from um, and I find that second stage just really difficult because mm. um, it can take me especially and I do this as well I don't, I don't know if you do this I do things like write about the scenery here you know capital letters xxxxx and I'll come back and fill it in because when I'm writing about scenery if it's not just flowed off the page I'll normally go back and look at a picture mm -hmm. and try and describe it and it will take me maybe like two hours to write like 300 words or less um and it's so painful and but I know it's worth it but it's a lot of us there's sort of like the fast flowy process of getting the big stories out and then the gap filling is um takes a lot more yeah, I'm going to ask you a little bit about um, that later because you're, it is so worth it because that is one of the things that I remember thinking when I was reading your book is, my God, this is fucking exquisite description because <laughs> like I was just, in fact, fuck it, we're going to talk about that now. I was so completely and utterly like in the location. I was there like surrounded by salt flats and thunderstorms and, you know, like how did you do that how like okay so you've mentioned like you go back and look at the pictures but you really breathe life into the description of wherever it is that you are it felt real to me I was so completely absorbed so what advice do you have to listeners who who might want to create better descriptions of settings um yeah again that is something that's taken practice because it, it is really difficult and also when you've written about a cloud-filled blue sky there's only so many ways you can say there was a cloud-filled blue sky so it does get difficult but um I think I was in a lecture and this was before I'd written any books um with this guy um called Stephen Pinker who does a lot about language he's like a Harvard professor and he was talking about communication and what communication is and he said, imagine you are stood looking at something happen and there's someone behind you and they can't see what's happening and you're holding their hand and you're having to explain to them what is in front of you. Like that is good communication. And I remember thinking when I came to write about scenery, I was like, that's my job. I have to 
almost be the eyes of the reader and so I, I imagine then that my reader stood behind me and they can't see what's going on in front of me which is why sometimes I end up coming up with ridiculous things like you know it looks like a candy floss or looks like someone's pumping out clouds from like it looks like there's a little troll behind the mountain pumping out clouds because that's what my imagination is telling me so I start with the way that I would explain it to someone who can't see it and then try and make it a bit less less ridiculous um and I think the second thing is we do so much about sight and what we see, but we forget about all the other senses. We forget about what does it smell like and, um, and, and what does it feel like, like, you know, the wind on your face or the, you know, how the, ski, the kind of the heat like prickles on your skin when you're in, when you're in a really hot country. So I think sometimes it, it pays to bring the other senses in or let one of them take a complete like front stage and, and just park sight for a little bit. One of my favourite um bits of playing with words is using the senses and yeah. um yeah I I love layering the senses as well and like in unexpected ways and yeah like that is one of my favorite things to do with words when I when I play with words because let's face it that is our job is to play with words so you know um oh, yeah absolutely <laughs> um okay so I want to just sort of go back to the narrative um arcs and uh talk about the fact that I was unexpectedly hooked. I don't know what I expected when I came to read your book, but literally from page one, I there, I was just like, fuck off, I'm reading. You know, <laughs> when, when you go into one of the books and you're just like, oh, I do not want to put this down. Um, so I, I don't really know what the question I'm trying to ask is like, how much truth is there in, in the story? And like, so, you know, because you go from A to B to C and yet you still create these like chapter endings that hook me to go on more. So is everything still in the right order? Like, cause she, I mean, I don't know. It, what am I, hang on. Get a fucking grip. Yeah. What, what am Did I trying I to say? Yeah. Am I a liar? <laughs> no, I suppose, I suppose what I'm trying to say is like, how did you create that tension whilst like tension and hooks at the end of the chapters and, you know, pull people through while still like being true to the adventure that you went on? Yeah, so I think that's about, um, I write the truth as I experienced it, which is, the, I think, the great thing about, um, you know, travel writing or writing nonfiction is no one can tell you you're wrong because you felt it. So, you know, I thought it, I felt it. So, um, so I write the truth as from, you know, the way I felt it, but also as I saw it. Um, and then, and dialogue can become a problem with that because you can't remember exactly what people said. But the rule with that, I think, is as long as they could have said it, then that's fine. And um, in, in the Llama drama book, Faye was obviously a huge character. So I made sure she read the first draft because I wanted to check that there were some points where, you know, our friendship was very tense and it's really hard trying to describe an argument and trying to make it come across so the reader's not going to take one side or the other, or they could take one or the other side, but you're not pushing them to do that. And so I wanted to make sure I got the balance right and stuff like that. So I guess I just go for my truth and and write it as I can and then um the hooks and stuff I just I I once I've written it all out I try and keep I'd say 95% of it is in the order it happened chronological wise but um I think it comes down to like the the pacing you know when you're you're just reading and you get a feel of like oh god I'm a bit well I mean I've got the attention span of like a nap with ADHD so you're reading it and then you can suddenly feel like well this is really slow now so I I would then maybe condense that section down rip some of it out and then um speed it up 
or bring it to life with a bit of dialogue or something. So I guess I get it down in as realistic form as I can and then I play around with it. And I also love to, uh, I love to get a whiteboard or a set of post-it notes. And what I'll do is, and this is how I plan my talks when I give them like a public, like a, a motivational talk or whatever, I will have like an emotion is on the left-hand side. So is the audience or the reader feeling good, feeling high, or are they feeling really low? Um, and then I plot the story. So chapter one, how am I feeling at the end of that? Chapter two. And I want to see by the time I finished, when I step back and look at the book, I want to see it going up and down. And if it stays like up, up, up for too long, I'm like, well, that's too long. It's too much, too much happy. Let's let's bring it down a bit. Um, so I guess it's getting it all down and then stepping back and going, OK, what elements do I need to like shrink or expand and move little bits around? Um, God, it sounds exhausting, doesn't it, Sasha? I was exhausted just talking about it. It's such a long process. Writing a book is a pretty fucking long process, oh, you know. God. Like, yeah, yet, it is. God, sorry. No, I was just going to say, and yet every time I'm still, I'm still excited to start one, and then I get halfway through, and I'm like, this is really hard. I know, I know. I, I'm one of these people that kind of enjoys having written slightly yes. more than because like I really hate editing and um I didn't I, I don't know I shouldn't say hate it I don't hate it because I love making it better and seeing it at the end but I do there is something practically orgasmic about that that free-flowing it just pause from you yes. that yes. is the thing that I love well that and then what I call like a literary o which is when you you kind of get that knee buckling like gotta grip a table because you've just had the perfect twist or the perfect like way to fix a scene I re I always call that literary <laughs> orgasm like those two things are my oh. favorite things um oh, I but, love that I'm gonna <laughs> steal that one love it you are most welcome to have it um <laughs> but yeah like the act of having to do the hard bit like that middle bit that you were talking about when I'm pulling and wrangling my non-fiction in it is hard because it's yeah I like I, I completely understand that um okay so let's take a, a sort of tangent for a second your books are hilarious oh, do you have any advice for writers wanting to inject a little humor into their writing I think it's just about being yourself um, and I think this is why I always got in trouble at school because I would always write like I speak and formality makes me itch like I can't I, I can't you know I'm not formal in any way and so I can't write in any other way except the way that I speak which is you know lots of slurs and mistakes everything else um, so I would and the thing is we're all funny like even sometimes if we don't intend to be funny and miserable people are funny they're just it's just funny you know like Jack D is a perfect example of that like it's just funny so I, I just think if you're trying to inject some humor I would just go and be your darkest self like you know what are the thing you know when you're watching like Gogglebox and the stuff they say when they're when you're the reason why it's so funny is because that's the stuff that you don't normally say in front of other people so mm. I think people are struggling it's because they've not peeled back enough layers to actually just be themselves and and be their most comfortable dark um you know controversial if need be self um I mean my humor is pretty light pretty surface level but um but yeah that's what that's what my tip would be just be yourself and keep peeling back yeah I love that and funnily enough um my non-fiction books are written how I speak and um, I think that is why they work because everybody says to me, oh, I can, I can hear you. Like you, yes. I literally read your book 
in your voice which is why yeah. I narrated the first one because I was like well you might as well hear it in my voice too exactly and then it matches <laughs> yeah exactly and uh yeah and I, but I think that really is true because you know I do swear and I I like sarcasm and dip jokes and all the rest of it and you know yeah I think it, it, it's funny because I'm going through this sort of massive change in my fiction writing because there was always a disconnect for me between being rebellious and sarcastic and my my truest self in my nonfiction and then having to wrangle that into young adult because I write young adult fiction. Yeah. And I think I restricted and restrained myself too much. And so I always had a problem. I love my first series. Don't get me wrong. I'm incredibly proud of it. But it didn't quite feel like it matched as much as I wanted it to like the non-fiction so and I think it comes down to that like I did not peel enough layers away to be you know my truest self in the fiction so I love that advice I think that is fantastic yeah um, okay I think we I think I, I was going to ask you about about truth but I think we've already established the fact that um you know you said you try to write your truth um yeah. like I yeah I mean would Faye have changed anything? <laughs> I don't know. No, I, the great thing about mine and Faye's relationship is I said I almost I, I threatened to drive the draft to Cornwall and put it in front of her because I said to her I said I want to come down I want to give you this draft and I want you to read it and I want to be there when you finish reading it which would have been weird because I would just have to sit there for days and you know stare at her and eat biscuits but um she uh she she insisted she was like no I promise you I will be honest and I think the great thing about our relationship is that I trusted her that she would be honest and she and because I, I said I will change anything or slash we can discuss anything that you think needs changing because if she'd suddenly said I'm completely uncomfortable with this you need to rip this whole section out and I'm like but that's a really you know I think we'd have to talk about it um but she what's funny is on on the journey on the trip through South America we had story time in the evenings so because I was writing and I was writing about what happened in the day Faye just started to like enjoy writing as well so we would read one another our accounts of the day oh, um wow. I used to love it yeah and that's what got shared on social media so she was sharing her version of the adventure I was sharing my version um and it was really interesting because for the most part you're reading about the same thing but the details are different the things that you notice are different yeah. obviously you know that's all to do with what's important to you and and you know you bringing your whole life to that moment basically um but she would have written a very very different book completely but that's also because yeah she would have brought the whole of herself and her and her reasons for doing it um which which I touched on in the book but I can't speak for that so yeah she'd have written a very different book she's threatened to one day <laughs> llama dramas too the yeah. real story yeah, the real llama drama yeah was, yeah <laughs> and, and like you mentioned sharing as you sort of went on social media and things and how much do you think that helped in the marketing? Like, I know I didn't prepare you for this question, but I'm curious now, like how much, yeah, yeah. how much of a role has social media played in your, in your marketing? Oh, massive, massive. I, there's no way I would sell books if I did not have the following I do on social media. My email list is minimal. It's about like four and a half thousand people. And, um, <clears throat> and I don't, partic I don't use it for as much as I should. Um, so my book sales are basically thanks to people on social media. Um, so, and a lot of those people have been with me for, you know, four, five, six years. And so they feel like they've been on this journey with me. There's absolutely no way that I would be able to sell books if I didn't have all these people following on social media. And 
they've they've been on the journey with me they've seen all the adventures they're so like invested in it and also a lot of the South America book was posted on social media when I put all the Instagram posts onto a page I'd, I'd written 70,000 words while I was on yeah I know I know I couldn't believe it and obviously it needed a lot of work but I was like I basically wrote the book <laughs> like through and um, through social media and people didn't I thought are they going to care or mind but no one seemed to care that you know was a lot of um I guess, uh, you know, it wasn't repeated because the content had changed, but the stories were the same. But um, yeah, so I love social media, although it's definitely work. I think yeah. I, I, I try not to let it creep into, you know, when the thumb gets carried away, stop the thumb. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I So I no longer really use Facebook other than my Facebook group. And the only social media I look at is Instagram, I would say, but I don't scroll. I only look at stories now because they're more live. Whereas yeah. the, the posts, I'm just like, oh, well, they're just, you know. So yeah, I tend to own, and there's only a few people that I watch as well. I try to really limit it. Otherwise, because you know, we just like books don't get written. <laughs> No, no oh my stories. god no it's dreadful it's yeah. dreadful isn't it yeah no I'm just I'm the same as you I'm like I can feel myself doing it. I'm like stop what are you doing no nope, yeah turn it off yeah <clears throat> okay so more of a logistical question just because I'm like super curious um how the bloody hell do you plan an adventure uh you know like several let's say 10,000 miles across the planet with like having never visited there before like how do you do that because when we did the Everest trip we did yes. it through a company like a native company in Everest so we had a Sherpa taking us up and taking us down so I knew I wasn't gonna like fall down the cliff although I did actually get lost and panicked yeah. and then passed out because I was so afraid <laughs> but <laughs> yeah like that, that sounds like an adventure story. to me it was oh my god it was such an adventure yeah like, like anyway that is a whole other story um <clears throat> but yeah how the hell do you plan a trip like that well do you know what this is similar to the question that I would ask on how the hell do you write fiction <laughs> because <laughs> it's I'm I'm just like I, I mean I'm writing things that happened I do you know how on earth people write fiction and how you write fiction is beyond me but I think it's a similar thing which is no one there's no like obviously there are manuals you have you have written manuals you know of, of such but um it you just start with what you know give it a bash get it wrong work it out go back to the drawing board start again start again and gradually it gets easier it gets more refined so for an adventure I literally start with an idea and drawing a line across the map and going that would be cool full stop and then it goes to okay like what's you know what's the safety situation like out there or um how far is it between towns if I'm running how far realistically can I run in a day okay and then we go to that point we go okay is it still passing yeah okay it's still passable let's carry on so um it's just piece by piece by piece and then I I used to have quite a rigid plan like when I did this I did this bike ride through all the states of America and I I was I was young and really wanted to cycle really far every day and prove myself and and had a very rigid spreadsheet of like the towns I had to hit and be in at certain times but I, I missed out on a lot of cool stuff because someone was saying oh why don't you just come here and come and meet this like hippie commune I was like no no I've got to get to the next town I'm gonna be a few days late um, according to my own schedule so now <laughs> I basically just ridiculous isn't it I, I, um, I just basically plan as much as I need to to feel safe but make sure there's a lot of play in there to 
allow detours and interruptions and disasters and all of that glorious chaos that makes life Mm. um okay and now mum to mum question oh yeah let's mum it up yeah let's mum it up um so my son is ridiculously privileged and has been to 10 countries already and he's not even quite yeah he's not even quite eight yet and I would like to say we have not been out of the country for two years so that is saying something (gasps) I know I know you crammed it in we have we have crammed it in um so are you how are you mumming and adventuring how how is that interplay do you just take the baby along like yeah talk to me about how you are going to manage that or how you are managing it and and how that works well at the moment I mean we had a wild adventure about two weeks ago we went to talking (laughs) it was crazy we were so excited I think we're both just trying to work out what an adventurous life looks like with a baby at the moment and it is I don't know what the answer is. Well, basically, we're going to bugger off for the British winter is the first mission. So we're trying to work out where we can go that's going to have enough people to have some energy and not be um, too quiet and deserted. Um, So that's our next mission. So, yeah, we're going with a one-year-old somewhere. I don't know, maybe maybe really, Yeah, I I really hope and pray that you write, like, the mum's guide to adventuring because I think it would be hilarious, one, and, uh, like, two, really down to earth, and three, fingers crossed, really practical because um, I know, like, we've done lots of things, but but I actually want to push the boat out. Like, one of my ultimate dreams is to take my son away for six weeks every school holiday and do a different adventure um I I mean financially I'm not quite there yet but almost almost there and so yeah but like I'm a bit I'm a bit I'm shaking my pants a little bit if I'm honest so yeah I don't know I just need someone else who who can like write the mum's guide and then like empower me to go and do that yeah so that's like before he gets too old I'm hoping sort of between 10 and 15 maybe like every summer we go away to a different country and just like rock and roll it Sounds like you should write this book. No, no, oh my god, no, no! I need the guide. I need the manual. Okay, you need to write me yeah. the manual. <laughs> to be honest, I'm going to have to because, and that is going to be my life for the next, for the foreseeable. Is like adventure with little storm. Like that, that's it. You know, so I, I can't get away from that. So um that I probably will write that book and I'm looking forward to it and I know and I can already feel myself you know we're planning this trip it, over winter and I can already feel myself I want to go to places where I speak the language where you know I know that I know the culture and that's not the point so mm-hmm. I can already feel that like that 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 growth that resistance that comes with every adventure mm-hmm. oh it's so uncomfortable <laughs> um okay so one of my patrons had a question uh so yeah. lynn reed aubrey said what is your favorite off the beaten path thing to do in a new location what unusual things do you like to do when you go somewhere oh I'll go and take a swim in any piece of water like just get your kicks off get in <laughs> like me naked is good but um I just think, yeah, do do that. Find like find a river or a lake or something where you can just because the thing is about wild swimming is you don't have to actually swim, you can just dip. Um, so just wild dip, wild dipping. This is a new book, isn't it? Um, so I would say try and find a body of water because I don't know, there's just something about going into the water, you suddenly just you're in the landscape, it's really cool. Um, even if like you're in the Thames and a coconut or coconuts and tampons always float down the Thames. I don't know what that's about, but um, so I would say that. And the other thing is if I'm on a long drive, I always stop and go for a run, even though I get back in my car and sweat into the seats. 
I find that even maybe you could stop and go for a walk if you don't like running but I find that means that rather than just driving through the beautiful places you know driving through the peak district like it's a crime not to stop and just um go for a walk and it's much better than stopping at a service station yeah so those are my tips. and and speaking of naked I think I actually cried with laughter at the salt flat scene like it was hilarious I don't know if you just want to explain <laughs> that scene oh my god because it will what entice it? people to read the book <laughs> Basically, right. So the salt flats in Bolivia is the most flat, beautiful, crystal expanse of white. And um, I decided that when we got there, we were going to get naked and cycle naked because you can see someone coming. So there's no danger of anyone. And even if they do, they're not going to care. And I just thought I thought it'd make great pictures, thought it'd make great videos. But Faye wasn't so convinced. So I had to convince her into getting naked and which she did I still can't believe I did this and I've got the footage and um and then we both cycled around naked and we but it, at first it was like we were we were sort of like well I was all right but she was like really uncomfortable and trying to she was trying to cycle and cover everything up you know cover up her boobs and everything and and you know I'd never I hadn't even seen Faye naked at this point she wouldn't she would go into the shower room to get changed she wouldn't even like get changed in front of me and but then within five minutes we were like doing naked flyby high fives I was like slapping her boob on a pass by or putting her on the bum and going oh cheeky cheeky and um oh it was just like this moment in time where if you'd been an alien and landed on earth and thought what are these two women doing riding around naked with their strange tan lines slapping each other's bits it was brilliant yeah and it was hilarious to read as well like I I, I think I recall we were sat on the sofa and I was I had to read it out to my wife because I was I was I was just like tear crying from love and there were a few bits actually to be fair in the book where I was like that but um Okay, uh, one last question then before I ask the ultimate podcast question. Um, yeah. What is the biggest lesson you've learned about, I don't know, maybe about travel or writing or, or business or marketing? What do you feel has been one of the, the biggest lessons that you've taken? Um, I think it goes down to just giving things a bash and realising that you can teach yourself to do anything. Um you know this whole like I said to you at the start before we came on like this is this is not my world you know this author world to me feels so I feel like oh my gosh I don't you know um I'm not worthy of being in it because I just go on ventures do stuff write about it and I didn't really know what I was doing I feel like I know a bit more what I'm doing now but everything has just been listening to hours of podcasts listening to you of course Sasha <laughs> um and and just going oh, okay I'll give that a try oh it doesn't work because what work might work for what someone else may not work for you but you've, you've got to figure it out yourself so I think that's my biggest learning and that goes for the same as adventures as well I've never known what I'm doing when I've started because I think if you wait till you feel ready then it's too late and you're not going to learn enough and grow enough I'd say um and I've just I've thought of another question whilst we're talking what was it like winning the Kindle Storyteller 2020 oh my god I think that is the like I mean I've never I've never taken drugs but um <laughs> you know it, legal drugs but I think that was probably the closest I was that I would get to it I was so shocked I cannot explain like I mean I was carrying storm in my belly I'm a, what was I like eight months pregnant at the time oh no more than that you know eight months roughly and the like the electricity that went through my body I was just in deep shock I mean I, I think I was on mute I was on mute because I was waiting to clap the winner <laughs> and um yeah I just I think it's just again it's one of those things you see these things as for other people you know like 
for people who do things differently or know what they're doing for them to win it and be like oh that's me I apparently know what I'm doing wow (laughs) um it was just like just insane insane and after we logged off from the ceremony I just sat there on the sofa like sweating and Jamie was just like yes my boyfriend he's like yes and I was just just in shock like what just happened like what just happened and I just yeah it was amazing so I I, yeah I cannot wait to congratulate someone this year it's just to know they're going to go on that roller coaster as well yeah yeah oh fantastic I actually remember watching you as it was announced and it was yeah yeah I was because obviously we couldn't see everybody when it was like but I, I was what and I was just like come on announce it announce it like I was so excited for you um yeah so that was that was awesome okay this is the rebel author podcast I cannot wait for this answer can you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel Oh, right. Now, I thought the first thing that popped into my head when I thought about this was I thought when I was this, I'm going to go childhood. When I was six years old, I wanted to play football. I've got two brothers. I desperately wanted to play football. They played football. I used to watch VHS, like Liverpool, you know, league title back to back on the telly. And I thought, why can't I play football? And so I managed to convince the, well, convince my parents to convince the primary boys football league to let a girl into the league oh okay. my god that's amazing <laughs> so I played for Sherwood Forest that was the name of my team disgusting orange colored uniform and I had my hair in Victorian curtains but with a really long ponytail down my back and my mum would do my ponytail in this neat little plait before I went on the pitch and there was one game where I'd been like going for it really hard like slide tackling left right and center and the referee stopped the match and he said number seven he was like come here and I went over to him I don't know what it is about referees, but they always smell like boiled cabbage. You know, they've got really hairy nostrils. So I, I was looking up at his hairy nostrils and I remember him just saying to me, you, he sounds like he's from his senders, but he is, you need to tuck your plaque down the back of your shirt and stop using it like a weapon. <laughs> and apparently I was turning my head and I was flicking all the boys in the eye with my, with my ponytail, with my plaque. It was a weapon. I, was, I had, to, had to control myself. <laughs> that is my early rebel story. Oh, I love it. What a fantastic story. I love that you're using like girl power, like girl assets to like destroy the lads. Yeah. <laughs> back in your place, lads. Yeah. I whip my hair back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, amazing. Thank you so, so much for joining me this evening. Well, yeah, you are in the UK now, right now, aren't yeah. you? you have, yeah, 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 in the UK now, yeah. Um, tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else that you would like to... Oh, wait, wait, no. I have to ask one more question. What can we expect from you next? Oh, well, I'm currently working on the book about Barefoot Britain, which will probably be called barefoot britain uh, so hopefully that is coming out it it will be coming out next year in springtime i reckon amazing amazing okay now <laughs> tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else you would like to add well if you just google my name anna mcnuff mcnuff i'm the only anna mcnuff in the whole wide world which is pretty cool yeah i will pop up everywhere um instagram is my main channel so you can just find me by doing that Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a raft of bonus goodies, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. 
I'm Sasha Black, you were listening to Anna McNuff, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. That's it, join me next week as I speak to Craig Martell all about different release strategies for your book launches. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher, and when you have a moment, please leave a review. Oh,